Just a quick note, this is the second part of our four-part series on veterans and mental health. We are focusing on topics like the end of the Afghanistan and Iraq wars, the importance of finding purpose after active duty, and the role that narratives play in helping veterans relocate the sites of duty and heroism back into the home and the community. We'll also talk about how we can best help veterans who are in crisis. If you have not had the chance yet, hit the follow or subscribe button to get updates on this series and future content. Now, without further interruption, the second part of our four-part series on veterans and mental health. Welcome to the Neutral Ground Podcast. This week, I'm joined by Amanda Huffman. Amanda is a military spouse and veteran who served in the Air Force for six years as a civil engineer, including a deployment to Afghanistan. She traded in her combat boots for a diaper bag to stay home with her two boys and follow her husband's military career. She has been recognized as Hill Vets 100 Class of 2019, Women Veteran Trailblazer 2021, and was a finalist for the Melissa A. Washington Small Business Award. She published her first book in 2019 titled Women of the Military, sharing the stories of 28 military women. In 2019, she also launched her podcast titled Women of the Military. In our conversation, we discuss the end of the Afghanistan and Iraq wars, the difficulties of transitioning from active to inactive duty, finding your purpose in a post-military service world, and how the military prepares you for motherhood. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Amanda Huffman. Amanda, thank you so much for being on the show. Welcome to The Neutral Ground. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me here. Okay, so my audience will already be familiar with this, with kind of why I'm asking you this question this way, but... I want to just give you some space and some freedom to just kind of talk about how you're personally narrating and making sense or processing this drawdown and the ends of the Iraq-Afghanistan wars. How are you kind of navigating that and and making sense of it yourself being someone who was deployed to Afghanistan? So I kind of had forgotten... Not that the war was going on, but I guess I kind of felt like we were just going to always be there. I never really saw an end of the war. And so even when President Trump was talking about leaving, I was like, oh, something's going to happen. And they're going to say, no, we need to stay. And so when they actually left, when the U.S. actually left, I I was kind of surprised and I wasn't quite ready to deal with all the emotions (laughs) that I felt because... I I deployed in 2010 to Afghanistan, and even then, I knew that if we left Afghanistan, that things would unravel rather quickly, just by the basis of talking to my translators that I worked with when I was over there and their feelings about Afghanistan. I remember one of the translators, he was talking about how Afghanistan 
how your country is supposed to be like your mother and he's supposed to protect you. And he said he felt abandoned by his country and he was really smart and educated. He knew English and Dari and Pashu. And he was just working with the Americans because he wanted to get out of Afghanistan. And he had, even in 2010, he didn't have any desire to stay and make the country better. He just felt betrayed. And that conversation has gone over and, I mean, I haven't really, I hadn't really thought about it in 10 years. And then when everything was falling apart and the people were, you know, the Taliban was taking over, I just kept thinking about how even 10 years ago, he kind of already told me and the other engineer I was with that it was all going to fall apart. And so that story and that conversation kind of has been going over and over in my mind. And then another con interpreter that I was connected with through Facebook that we've stayed connected on social media and he was stuck in Afghanistan and so talking to him via messenger and getting updates about the fear and the danger he sent me pictures and he told me that they were hiding in their basement and um, I was able to help donate money to a specific organization that he was working with and he's now in the United States and so I feel like I didn't do enough, but I also feel like I really, we gave money to him and his family and they were able to get out and that was kind of all we could afford to do. So I kind of been, been focusing on like helping that one person or his family. So it's more than one person and how that was really important. But I also feel guilty because I feel like not everybody got out and there was so much other stuff going on and I've had people contact me that I don't actually know who just know I deployed to Afghanistan and they're like desperate for help and I I can't help them and it really makes it hard to be in the situation that I am so finding the right boundaries and there's a lot going on if you can't tell <laughs> yeah I mean that's 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 so much for any one person to deal with right and I think that key term that you mentioned there, this idea of boundaries, boundaries are so, they're so important, right? Because there is only so much that, that you can do and only so much time you have and only so much emotional and physical and psychological energy that you have to, to devote to others, right? Before you start really taking it away from yourself and your, your loved ones and the, the responsibilities that you have as well. You know, you're you're not the first person to to kind of tell me too that there were there were these moments when Afghani citizens and people there assisting the military were saying things that seemed like there were let's say disconnects in some way of the communication, things that made it seem like that this it might go this route. How did that how did those kind of conversations you know, in some ways dictate how you, you worked in the moment, or did it not have any sort of effect on, on the work that you did? Um, I feel like we kind of just did the job that we were supposed to do, and it was really hard to think about the long-term impacts of what we were doing because we were only there for nine months, and we spent four months in Indiana before we left for Afghanistan, learning a lot about the Afghan people and their culture and the history of war. And so 
when we looked at like what can we get done in the nine months that we're there, it's like we can move a tiny little bit of dirt <laughs> onto a pile and maybe watch some of it roll back down the hill. But it just kind of felt insurmountable. So my focus, and I think a lot of people on my team's focus, was to survive and to make it home from the deployment. And that was where our focus was. And in a way, like, the fact that you're in a war zone and there's this fear of dying and fear of death is like your body and your mind can only take in so much. And so you just have to focus on the mission and getting home alive. And then the long-term impacts wasn't something that I really processed or thought about overseas because it just, it was kind of too painful in the moment. And it's like now we're leaving and it's all coming to fruition and it's really painful now, but I'm in a safe place where I can process it. And I haven't processed it for 10 years because I haven't had to. And so I think a lot of us were just trying to like survive, take care of our families if we had them back home and just focus on what the mission was and not really think about the bigger picture. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, well, thank God that you, you are here safe uh, my my next question would be I'm I'm curious about what was the moment like for you when you first realized I'm no longer an active duty member was it an odd kind of moment like did you have a genuine kind of moment of sudden awareness of this well I was I had a 4 month old <laughs> baby when I left the military and I think I was sleep deprived and going a little bit crazy but I remember when I was on my my leave to get out of the military so I wasn't I wasn't gonna go back to work but I was still technically in the military and I had a conversation where I like talked to this guy and he asked me what I did and I told him about like I was in the military and he was just like wow that's amazing and then like a couple weeks later after I got out of the military, I had a similar conversation and I was like, oh, I got out of the military and now I'm a stay-at-home mom. And they were like, oh, okay. And then the conversation ended and it was like such a stark contrast of like, wow, you're amazing to, okay. They didn't even ask about like anything else. He asked me all these questions about like the work that I was doing, if I had deployed. And the second person, like after I was out was like, oh, you're out. Okay. And they didn't ask me anything else. And it was like, oh, this is my new life. I went from someone that people were really interested and they wanted to hear my story to someone that they were like, oh, you're a stay-at-home mom? Okay. And that was all they heard. And they didn't even really hear the veteran piece. Interesting. That Yeah, I could see how, how that would be a very awkward, conscious moment of going from, okay, everyone's interested in this part of me and now all of a sudden everyone is, is not in some way. Did that have an... A, did it have a little bit of a of a kind of negative effect in terms of how maybe military service people in general transition from active to veteran like do you think that that actually may play a role in in one reason why it's a little bit uh, it's a very difficult transition maybe i think it's hard to go from active duty to like not military person because you lose your sense of purpose and you 
it's like the military during your transition program, they're like, get a job, get a job, get a job. And like, no one explained to me why. They were just, and I just thought like, well, you know, you get out of the military, you need to get a job. But it's not, the reason that they're so focused on you getting a job or starting a new career is because they're trying to replace that purpose and that that sense that you had in the military. And I think if the military spent more time and was like, you're leaving the military, this is a very emotional thing. And like they explained why, I think we still wouldn't get it until after we got out, but at least we'd be like down the road of like figuring it out instead of being like, because even if you get a career, I mean, I didn't, I got a career of being a stay-at-home mom and that was so different. And I didn't have the same purpose and passion that I had with the military because in the military it's like laid out. Like, this is the mission, this is how we're going to do it, and then you fall, and then a baby, they don't do anything. (laughs) And so you're just kind of, like, lost and don't know. And I think a lot of civilian jobs are similar where, like, they're like, this is our goal. Because, like, you could say the goal is raising your child to graduate. But it's not as detailed as, like, an op order where the military gives you, like, a step-by-step process. And so I think the transition for me always felt really disconnected because I went from being in the military to stay-at-home mom and most people don't follow that path but then I talk to other veterans and they relate to my story and they relate to my experience and so I think it's just that like the military is so different than the civilian world and so it's a really hard switch to figure out how to find that purpose on your own instead of being told this is what you need to do. (laughs) Yeah you you mentioned that there is a a transition program built in and and I would ask you to speak to that even a little bit more only because I would guess and I could be wrong I think most people who haven't served including myself wouldn't maybe didn't even know that there was one so could you speak a, a little bit more to that like you did a good job talking about that they're trying to provide purpose but what what else would you say? I mean, because I think we all agree that that's probably really important, actually, to have that. Is that something that you think we should bolster even more? Yes, and the military has been, like, they keep trying to improve it because when, like, I guess 20 years ago, I don't know when TAP started, Transition Assistance Program, but in some of my interviews, when I interview people who left the military and, like, the 80s and maybe even the 90s, there was no transition. It was just like, good luck, here's your DD-214, which is the paper they give you when you leave the military. And now they have changed it. And when I was in, it was a one-week class that the first four days were all focused on like becoming a civilian, all job-related. And then the last day was focused on like your VA benefits. But it was really quick. And it wasn't really in-depth enough. And for me, when I took it, I was like eight months pregnant and I was planning on being a stay-at-home mom. And so it was kind of not a good fit, like practicing interviews, learning about what things I needed to have on my resume, uh, learning about like government jobs or working in the civilian sector. Like all that stuff was helpful, but It didn't really come down to the emotional experience that I was about to have that no one ever talked about. And so, and then they spent like two hours doing like a VA overview, which if you know anything about Veterans Affairs, you can't cover 
like you could cover like the tip of the iceberg in two hours and and I feel like that was a disservice as well because I didn't register for the VA healthcare system like I should have. I didn't do a physical to see if there was anything that I could qualify for a disability. And I was just kind of unaware because everything was like so condensed so fast and it was like a check the box and not like a let's actually help the military. It was like they've inter- they had implemented it to the point where they were like, we need to help veteran or help people as they transition. But it wasn't to the point where it was more than just like checking the boxes of like, go to this class, check. It wasn't like, make sure that you go through all these steps and you understand what's going. And I think that it's changed a lot in the last, I guess, eight years since I left the military. And it's a lot different now and it keeps getting better. But I think the hardest part is it's usually written by civilians who've never served in the military or it's written by like senior military officers and neither of those groups really understand what transitioning is like. And so I think that they're still working to find the right path forward, but it keeps getting better. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's great to hear the positive, you know, uh, trajectory here of it getting better. I, I have to admit though, I am, I'm pretty surprised, bordering on shocked, that it was so short in that regard. And the first half, let's be generous and say maybe even just the half, is dedicated to finding a career or a job even. I can understand in a sense that it'll, you know, a job will provide you with instant responsibility and even therefore purpose to a degree. But of course, like, I mean, whether you're a veteran or not, Many people have trouble finding purpose in their jobs and in their careers. So there's a part of me, though, that wonders, and I, my audience will, will know that I talk about this a lot, finding purpose on, on a more human level, just human ex, you know, experience level to me, would seem to be a, a, maybe a, a better way to try to catch everybody to a degree um, but that's that's easy for me to say, difficult to to implement, right? And your point about it being written by civilians or really high level officers too, I'm a bit surprised by that as well. That you couldn't take more, uh, you know, various opinions into consideration to really help kind of beef this up and make it where it needs to be. Do you think? Do you think there is a? a would you, if you had the chance to to rewrite this, let's say? Would you have a particular amount of time that you think would be necessary? Would, is it a time-based problem, you think? I think it's a time-based problem. I think that you should probably do it like at least over six months and like a week or two days every every month. So like instead of cramming everything into a week and you have like a two-day course at the beginning of the first month and then... A month later, you guys meet back together, and maybe even you have homework that you work on, and then at the six-month point, you're close to ready to transition. And I don't think there's any way to, like, cover everything, because once you leave the military, it is a transition, just like when you... I know you talked to Ben. He always talks about, like, how your first transitions when you join the military, and when you leave the military, you have to transition back into civilian life. And I think there's just some things that you can't see until you're on the other side. But I think if you have like a six month window where you 
get a little bit of information at a time and you can build on it and process it and like cover all the bases of like getting your VA benefits covered and making sure you've done everything, then you're more prepared than like shoving it all into a week. And then, and I was like almost out and I was super pregnant. And so I was just like, check the box, get it done. But if I had started working on it six months before, it would have been different. Yeah, I would have imagined that a big part of this would have been a kind of almost mandatory, let's say, registration for VA because, I mean, even if you choose not to use it, let's say, I would think that they would require to a degree a registration just to give you that easier access. But you're saying no, right? They don't, they don't do that. No, they don't require you. And I was under the impression because my husband's still in the military that I was under TRICARE. And so I was like, why do I need to go through this process because I'm I'm becoming a military spouse and so I have TRICARE. And now I know a lot more about how VA works and I'm like, I really should have registered for VA. And I should have like done a medical physical to see if there was anything wrong with me so that I could get disability if I... Uh, if I needed it, I know I had ear surgery and that would have been something that they would have looked at. And instead I just didn't do that. And I could go back and try and work through all the bureaucracy and paperwork, but it's 10 times harder now. And it's also really hard to say, like besides the ear surgery, I can't say like if a certain part of my body hurts, if it's from being out of the military, like and having kids and just getting old, or if it's from my time in the military because I never went and did that physical like I should have when I left. Wow. Yeah. No, that's a that's a great point. Uh, I'm, I'm curious then. So you, you, you leave with a, a four-month-old baby, right? Now, we, we're, we're sort of talking about purpose here a little bit and finding purpose. I mean, a, a child creates also a tremendous amount of, of purpose, all of a sudden, would you say that that actually helped you in some way transition and finding purpose right away? Or did it just complicate it in a different way? Uh, it definitely complicated it in a oh, different way. Please tell me. I'm curious because I would have thought the opposite. I would have thought, oh, it gave me a, a tremendous amount of purpose in some way. So why not? Why, why did it create complications? Because being a mom is really hard. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I I went from doing something and like never really failing and so and setting limits on what I did so that I would always not fail and then I had a baby and I like read the books and I was prepared and then it took me a long time to learn that he was a human and not a textbook and there wasn't like no test to pass. And so for me it was really humbling because I felt myself failing at the first thing I did when I got out of the military because I didn't think I was a good enough mom. I also really struggled because the military gives you accolades for everything that you do and nobody gives you accolades when, you know, more what the, the being a mom, you get judged by other moms or by the society by and large, like your kid's not sleeping through the night, you're breastfeeding too long, you're breastfeeding too short. There's like so many pressures of being a mom and just like we talked about the military was like step one step two step three and for a child like every baby is different and every parent is different and so I think finding that like 
balance between like following the checkbook of rules and like actually reacting to my baby and trying to figure out what he needed and not just what you know the textbook says well he should be doing this and it's like and so it changed me a lot as a person so that was like a internal transformation of having to like let go of some of the stuff was I was holding on tightly to and just adapting and changing and did you get your fair share of people saying oh you need to read this book this is the oh, book yeah. to- <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> did you ever actually oh, yeah. read them that's the question <laughs> Uh, I'm a like type A, so I would read them and then I would try whatever crazy thing that was in there and it just wasn't like the right fit for me or for my son. And so I, I mean, I tried all the books like Baby Wise and like Gentle Sleep and, you know, and then the Dr. Sears book and like everything. And I was reading all these books and instead of just paying attention to my kid. Yes. Being in the moment right? How important that is. I, I've, I've told this, I mean, this has pales in comparison to the importance of, of raising a child. But my, my moment of learning that came in my first class that I ever taught in college. I, I was teaching a lesson and I had everything written out perfectly, step by step. This is what's going to happen, you know, all this stuff. And then a kid asked this question about, you know, we were talking about language and he said, yeah. So for example, did you know that the, the word naive isn't actually in the dictionary? And of course, being the ultra prepared teacher that I was. I had a pocket dictionary in my bag, took it out. And as I'm flipping through the pages, I start hearing giggles. I get to the end section and I I look at the word staring at me and I realize, oh, that kid just pulled a joke on me. (laughs) And I look up and the kid's in the corner who did it. And he's just like, you know, smiling away like he got me. But you know what? That was an important lesson for me because it taught me, look, you got to be in the moment with others. You have to. You can be prepared and that's always great. But you also have to be in the moment, you know, really. And that was a great, great lesson for me. Well, I'm curious. So all of this experience that you're accumulating with everything, what what prompted you to start a, a, a podcast, a Women of the Military podcast what was the impetus to start that well originally I started with a blog that I started when my son was about six months old because I was struggling with my new role and I needed something for me and I had always loved to write and so I was like I'll start a blog it'll be great (laughs) and I didn't know anything about marketing or even I didn't know where I was going but I was like airman to mom I was an airman and now I'm a mom and then I kind of bounced around all over the place not really having any direction or I was trying to talk to everyone which is not what you're supposed to do and so I was learning a lot of different marketing strategies and different things and I ended up getting involved with a group where in October they write every day which is crazy but (laughs) I did a series on deployments because I had done the series before and I had done all the writing and I was like, I don't want to do all the writing. I'll interview people and then it'll be less writing. It was still a lot of work, but uh, it ended up being mostly women who responded to my survey call and it was kind of like a light bulb moment of like, oh, women, they're in the military. And I mean, I was in the military, but most of the people I deployed with were guys and I sent them the survey and none of them filled it out. 
but I sent it out on social media and other women shared it and it got sent into this like officer forum of women and a bunch of them filled it out. And so I'm reading their stories about their deployments and I'm like, women on in the military, they're just amazing. This, this is so cool. Like all this stuff that they're doing. And so I decided who cares about deployment? We're going to learn about women. And so I had planned to do the series again in 2018, but my husband's in the Air Force. Well, now he's in the Space Force, but we moved from California to Virginia and it was almost October and I had most of the stories, but I also felt really overwhelmed of putting them in the blog and doing all the work. And so my friend was like, you don't have to do this. <laughs> like, no one's going to... No one's going to be mad at you. I mean, maybe the people that I wrote the book for or wrote the, did the interviews, they might be upset, but I could just delay it a little bit and they would understand. And she was right. And somehow from that conversation, we decided, let's do a podcast. And so I started the podcast and I had those stories that I collected. And I was like, if I can't find enough people to be on my podcast, I'll just read those stories so that. It, that way I can like continue having weekly episodes, but I didn't have a problem <laughs> finding women to tell their story. And so I put all those stories I collected into a book called Women of the Military. And then the podcast is also titled Women of the Military, but that's the long answer to your question. No, it's a great answer. And actually it, it you made me think of something. I mean, something that, that we, we teach, you know, even in college, at least in, in my area, we talk about the importance of writing as not simply trying to convey something, but as a way of, of organizing your thoughts, right? It's kind of the highest level in some ways of thinking because every word has to connect and every sentence and paragraph and, and, and whatnot. I'm, I'm fascinated by the idea that you were overwhelmingly receiving responses from women. Do you think in some ways that was a kind of call to say, look, we have stories here and we actually not simply want to tell them just to tell them, but we want to tell them so that we can make sense of our roles here ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there was a desire for women to share about their experiences and what they did. Because if I asked a woman that I knew who was in the military and I knew they had deployed, Nine times out of ten, they would write back. But I asked all my guy friends, and they were all too busy, or, like, they just never got around to it. And so I think there was this desire to share their story because so much in the media and so many stories of women are just lost to history. And so this is, like, an oral history of stories, and every experience is so different, even though we're all women and we serve in the branches and, but our stories are just so different and it's so interesting and fascinating to hear about all the different experiences. Yeah, that's, that's wonderful. Well, I'm, I'm curious now too, how this is kind of a two part question. You can separate it out or answer it all in one because they kind of connect with each other. How did, how did the military prepare you to be a mother and yet at the same time how do you think motherhood might prepare someone to serve in the military i think i think the military i can answer the second part easier sure uh, go for it the military requires a lot of sacrifice and so does being a mom because your baby 
you can't just put them in a box and like no. go off and do your thing. <laughs> you have to you have to figure out childcare or you have to figure out a way to like find the way to get the things done that you want to get done and and still take care of them, especially when they're really little. It requires Someone told me it's kind of like breaking up with yourself because there's like the person you are before motherhood and then the person that you are afterwards. And that really goes well into how the military, like you, when you join the military, you're one person and you kind of have to break up with that person because the military sends you to boot camp and they like break you down and then they build you back up into someone new. And so that's motherhood and being in the military. They have a lot of similarities. Oh, I did a series on my blog called Military and Motherhood, where I compared the differences between, like, motherhood and military, and I talked about, like, how an MRAP, which is an up-armored vehicle, is, like, kind of how you protect your kids from life's troubles, and there's still, like, bombs that go off and blast, but you try and, like, protect them, and yeah, it was really fun to write that series. Yeah, that's fascinating to me that, that I, I never thought of it about it that way of kind of breaking up with that person and then having to rebuild right you're rebuilding a kind of narrative of who you are in that moment do you it, it makes a lot of sense to me though in the sense that like going into boot camp you do that and then in a sense do you think maybe that's a little bit of a key here too in that transition period out that maybe that's something that has to happen again? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Because you're not, you can't be the same person when you leave the military. You have to adjust because your, your life is different. You have to make your own decisions. The military is not going to tell you where you're going to live when you leave the military. Like, that's one of the things my husband has been in for 15 years. And so retirement's about five or so years away and like one of our biggest fears is like having to decide where we're gonna live and like picking what job he's gonna do after we get out because we haven't done that we graduated college and we both went active duty and so we've always for our adult life been told like this is where you're gonna live and he's always been told this is the job you're gonna do and he can have dreams and try and pick what job he wants but it's the military that makes that final decision and when you get out, you have to make that decision. And it seems crazy that, like, as a grown adult, the fact that you have to make a decision on where you live is something so hard. But for someone in the military, it's not something they've had to think about at all because you don't want to think about it because if you get really upset, it doesn't matter <laughs> your life. So you just you just kind of, like, give up per certain parts of, like, control over your life and then you leave the military and you have to be in control of where you live and what work you do and and how you spend your time are you going to keep working out or are you going to not work out because you don't have PT three times a week or whatever the schedule is what what kind of what, what do you think the audience should know or what's something that the audience should know maybe people like myself who did not serve that that doesn't quite get, let's say, uh, I'll use the term accurately or maybe talked about enough uh, through through various medias. What's something that we should know about service that you think just isn't quite out there enough? What kind of story, in a sense? 
I think the diversity of the military and the different experiences in the military, I think there's this stereotype of, like, white male with a gun and, like, that's the military. And especially with, like, the Space Force, I'm really interested in space and my husband just joined the Space Force. And there's so much stuff on social media about, like, how Space Force... And people just don't understand, like what is happening in the military and how it's becoming more technical and less boots on the ground like it was, you know, during World War One and World War Two. If you think about how even the Afghanistan and Iraq wars were fought, there was so much technology built into it where we were pretty safe overall. I mean, over the years, a lot of Americans died, but it was so much less than if we had been at war for 20 years during World War One and World War Two, like, there weren't that many casualties overall. It just was a different type of war, and it was a lot based on the technology, and that's where I think the military's headed, and that's why, like, the Space Force was created. And so I think the military is really changing in all the stereotypes. Like, there, there, when I was growing up, there was a belief that the military was very, very conservative, and it's not... When you're in the military, you learn that, like, everybody is different, you know, different races, different political beliefs, different um, upbringings, different cultures, and there's so much diversity to the military, and I think for so long it's just been certain people have come to the top and they've been the leaders, but the military is changing, and I think the military can change America for the better because we have learned how to work together and meet a mission despite our differences. And it's something that's probably one of our greatest strengths. And if we can figure out how to show the, the rest of the United States, like how we've done it and how important it is to work together, even if you don't agree on certain issues, then I think that would be the best thing that the military could give to the civilians because the stereotype is so wrong and I just want more people to know about how we're all working together and how we're accomplishing the mission. Yeah, and how how we narrate these stories is important because it it can aid also in in ultimately what we what we want to talk about here too. These last two questions are going to deal with how we can help in terms of the, of the transition and whatnot. And one way that we can do that is by narrating that story a little bit differently so that people don't feel like they were part of something that is this huge, you know, terrible thing like that, that actually matters how we narrate our relationship with the military is, is quite important actually. And highlighting too what they're doing and the technology that they bring that has for years actually helped aid in our ability to be the country that we are right now in terms of, of, not helping others and and even helping ourselves as well. Well, I I do have have two questions left for you. The first one deals with what advice you would give someone like myself who did not serve to help either someone that they love who may be struggling, who did serve with either PTSD or just struggling in general with trying to find that level of purpose. What can we do to help in that regard? I think the biggest thing you can do is to listen and to ask questions. 
And also be okay with someone saying, I can't talk about that right now. Um, sometimes I can talk about my experience in Afghanistan, but Afghanistan, but sometimes, uh, for whatever reason, usually I don't know why I can't talk about it. And so I've had to tell people like, I just need some space and like, I'm really thankful that you're asking these questions, but I can't answer them right now. And so I think that's the hardest part is like, I really want to talk about my experience. I really want to talk about my time in Afghanistan and to share like the stories of women. But some days I just can't. <laughs> and if you, if someone says that, know that they're saying that, like, I, I feel for me that they're saying like right now I can't talk about it, but that doesn't mean like you can't talk about it ever. So don't just like close the door, but you could say, I know we couldn't, t you couldn't talk about it a couple weeks ago, but I still have questions. Would you be open to talk about it at a future date? And if they say yes, then continue that conversation when it's better. But I've had a lot of people when I've said that, then they never bring it up again. And I can see like they don't want to cause me pain, but I, I mainly just need time to process whatever question they asked that triggered me and I can't respond right then. So. Yeah. It, it, you know, it's, it's amazing to me how, how universal certain things are in terms of, of our uh, various aspects of, of civilization. Uh, my, my audience will probably be thinking right now, that's something that we talked about in a previous episode uh, with Hemingway. Hemingway had written, you know, he served in World War One as an ambulance driver uh, in Italy, mostly for the American Red Cross. And he wrote a short story called Soldier's Home when he came back from the war. And at the very beginning of the short story, he says, when I, when I wanted, uh, when they wanted to ask me about my service, I couldn't talk about it. And then when I wanted to talk about it, they wouldn't listen. And, and we, we talked about how the idea is it can't be on your, on our, let's say, the, the people who didn't serve. It can't be on our timeline. When that opportunity hits and somebody wants to talk, you got to stop everything you're doing and just listen. That's your opportunity. You may not get it again. And that's the sad truth. You might not. And so you take it when you can. And when they say, I can't talk about it right now because I'm processing it, you have to respect that and let them process it in that way. So it, it's just, it's so amazing to me how, I mean, this is, <laughs> oh, this is so long ago and yet it might as well have been written two minutes ago by you who just said this. It's, it's really quite amazing. And I'll just add that it's, it's uplifting to me because it means we have this story already and we have mechanisms for dealing with it. So there is hope. And that maybe will segue into my, my last question here for you, which is, what would you say to uh, veterans who have served and are maybe dealing with a, a loss of hope or loss of purpose? What would be your advice to them? That it's not too late to get help. I deployed 10 years ago, and actually it was just by accident that I started therapy in late June. 
And so I've been going through therapy as the Afghanistan withdrawal happened. And it wasn't on purpose. It was actually quite by accident. But I'm so thankful to be in therapy now. And for a long time, I felt a lot of shame because I didn't get help sooner to deal with my deployment and that I waited. I mean, I guess it's technically 11 years. That's a long time after. But it's been really helpful and really life-giving. And I can say, oh, I wish I had gotten help sooner. But maybe the timing that I needed the help was right now because I'm going through all these emotions. And like five years ago, Afghanistan wasn't in the forefront. It wasn't in the news. It was just something that was still happening. And uh, a lot of people didn't even know what was going on. And so maybe it's just the time that you need to process it will happen and it'll just be the right time. And so if you're stuck, don't let the shame stop you from reaching out and getting help because there's nothing to be embarrassed about. There's nothing to there's nothing you can change about when you got help. And so that's just in the past. So just move forward, step out and get help. And I want to mention that I'm going through therapy through the Cohen Veterans Network and they offer free counseling for post 9-11 vets and they have different clinics across the nation. So I highly recommend them as a resource and I only have two more sessions left and it's just been life giving and life changing to go through. The, the 12 weeks of therapy. Yeah, that's, that's a wonderful place to sort of end this, but I'll also mention that I'll be putting links to all of this too in the episode notes. And uh, I'll, the only thing I can add is don't let the shame, like you said, stop you from reaching out. There's never a bad time to do so. Just do so when, when you can or help someone else as well to do so. Amanda, thank you so much for your service. Thank you for being here. And thank you for your service as well at home and in the community. That's just raising children. That's just as, as important. You're helping the community and you're helping us all in doing so. So thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I hope you've enjoyed my conversation with Amanda Huffman. If you would like to learn more about Amanda, there are links in the show notes below, and I encourage you to use them. Additionally, if you or someone you love is a veteran who is struggling to find ground underneath your feet, I encourage you to use the resource links that I've provided in the show notes as well. The fight on the field might be over, but there are plenty of problems in the world that could use your help. There is purpose to your life. Until next time, try to keep one foot firmly planted on the neutral ground and have a great day.